pray. Father, what a, what a great reminder from that passage about um, a few men, Lord, who, who knew what they saw with their eyes and they believed it and they knew that Jesus was the Christ and is the Christ and were willing to, to be punished and beaten for it. Uh, thank you for their witness, Lord, and, and too, we're reminded that, uh, that the reason the church exists today is because Jesus really did come to this earth. He really did die a sacrificial death on the cross. He really was raised to life on the third day, and, and he really did establish the church. And 2,000 years later, here we are, and we are his church. And we praise you, Lord, um, for raising us up to be your disciples. And I pray that we'd be faithful. And, and Lord, as we look here at an Old Testament account um, in Daniel, um, very relevant, Lord, and it relates very much to the story in Acts. And I pray, Lord, that we would be ready um, to face persecution when it comes. So Lord, speak from your word this morning um, as this sermon goes forward. In the name of your Son, I pray. Amen. Have you ever asked yourself, would I die for Christ? All of us hope that we can say yes to that question, of course. Faith is an interesting thing. You find out the genuineness of your faith when it is put to the test. It is not dif difficult to believe when life is easy and everything is going right. But it is difficult to believe when it costs you something. There have been many Christians over the past 2,000 years who have paid the ultimate price for their faith in Jesus. Uh, I saw one number that said that there have been seven, 70 million martyrs since the time of Jesus. And it is good to put yourself in the shoes of these martyrs. Would you be faithful to the point of death like they were? Of course, I hope that you and I can say yes to that question. But ultimately, it's a question of how genuine your faith is. Phony Christians will not die for something they do not believe in. But those who have allegiance to God are faithful even under the worst of circumstances. This morning's sermon is about three men who were faithful to the point of death. And it is about the God who went through their greatest trial with them. Last week's sermon, uh, preached by Pastor Dave, was on uh, Daniel chapter 2. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he brought his wise men, the Babylonian wise men, before him and told them, tell me the dream first and then tell me the interpretation second. And what we found is that none of them were able to because none of them have the supernatural power that comes from God. But what we saw is that Daniel, of course, who knows the one true God, was able not only to interpret the dream, but also to tell him the dream that he had. And obviously, Nebuchadnezzar was very impressed with this. And, and whenever you have a good day, 
at the office or a good run of work, what happens is that you are promoted. And that's what happened to Daniel. He was promoted. And, and what Nebuchadnezzar sa- said about his God is that truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Now, Daniel is the main character of, of this book. And in the first two chapters, um, he is the one who is the main focus. But in chapter 3, we see that he takes a back seat and it focuses on the three companions that were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon into exile. And these three men are, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In this account, in Daniel 3, as they stand before the king, their allegiance is tested. Is it to their God or is it to King Nebuchadnezzar? This sermon is calling you to devote your allegiance to the one true God. Devote your allegiance to the one true God. And there are three ways how that are in this text. The first way how is by refusing to worship other gods. Devote your allegiance to the one true God by refusing to worship other gods. Daniel chapter 3 is on page 739 of the Red Pew Bibles if you want to follow along. Uh, Follow along with me. I'm going to read the first seven verses here um, and then we're going to jump into it. Daniel 3, 1 through 7. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, of course, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon. He saw the miraculous knowledge of God in the previous chapter. Daniel was able to tell him the exact dream that he had and and the exact interpretation. And he was amazed by this. But even after seeing God do this amazing work, he still did not worship God. And we could see that clearly as we read this text. He did not want to worship God because he wanted to worship himself. And that's what we see in these verses. He wanted to worship himself. This image was likely of himself. 
and he wanted to worship his gods. So obviously here, he is committing great idolatry. He is calling all people to commit this idolatry along with him. And what's interesting is that when you look at this, the people plunged right in. They didn't give this much thought. If you look at verse 7, it says, As soon as all the peoples heard the music, they all fell down and worshipped the golden image. Okay, so these are people who, they didn't, they didn't put up a fight. They just, they jumped right in. And we see this all the time in our culture. People just jump right in to worshipping anything and everything that there is. And obviously the king of Babylon here, he desires that they all have the same religion because if you have the same religion in your empire or in your nation, you're going to have unity. And that's what he is after here. And in verse 6, Nebuchadnezzar demands full allegiance to himself. If you you look at verse 6, he says, Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the fiery furnace. Now, this sounds similar to another type of worship that takes place in the Bible, does it not? Um, in the book of Revelation, in the end times, with uh, the, the, the beast, uh, the beast sets up an image, and if anyone will not worship him, then they will be beheaded, they will be killed. That's what Revelation 13.8 says. It says, all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So it sounds very similar to that. So the question is, who is your allegiance to? Is it to the God of the Bible or is it to something else? There is is an Iranian pastor right now uh, who is serving an eight-year sentence um, in an Iranian prison. Uh, he, 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 He was born in Iran and then moved to America and then went back to Iran. And when he was in Iran in the early 2000s, they said that he helped start up 100 house churches. 100 house churches in Iran. And this is a country that is, is, it's an Islamic state. Uh, Christianity is not welcome there. And as he was taking a trip back to Iran from America uh, a few years ago, he was arrested. And he was charged and, and here's why he was arrested and charged. The Iranian pr- he was sentenced because he undermined the Iranian government by creating a network of Christian house churches and attempting to sway Iranian youth away from Islam. Okay, so he's serving an eight-year sentence in an Iranian prison. His name is Saeed Abedini. So pray for this man, uh, suffering great persecution and and he didn't commit a crime. The only reason he's in prison is because of his witness to Christ. Would you be willing to be jailed or put to death because of your allegiance to God? This man knows what it's like, uh, and none of us really have experienced that yet, at least that I know. Are you ready for that when it comes? Now, none of us really are facing the reality that we might die for our faith at this point in our country. Uh, th- we, we have seen things, it's becoming harder to, become a, to be a Christian here, we've seen that, but we're, we're still probably not at the place where you're going to get your head chopped off for following Christ. But my question to you is, how, how are you doing in the smaller areas? 
of your walk with God, of your allegiance to him. Because this is a good test. If you're faithful in the small matters, you'll be faithful in the big matters. Do you place the gifts of your life that God has given you above him? That's a good test. Do you worship your spouse, your children, your phone, a politician whom you've put your hope in to think that they're going to turn this country around? I know that today there's going to be millions of people all across America who are not worshiping Jesus Christ, but they're worshiping football. Everybody wears the same, their team uniforms, goes to the game. And, it, and it, you know what? It can be, it's not a bad thing in itself, but what happens is the man's soul easily jumps into idolatry, just like the Babylonians did, and they jump right in. We see this happen all the time, and you see it in your own life. And so be faithful in the small matters. In your lifetime, a day may come when, we are, when you are forced to choose between worship of God or allegiance to your government. If you are fully committed to God now, when we're not facing that kind of persecution, you will be ready when the great persecution comes. And so that's my encouragement to you. Prepare yourself now. So the first way how you must devote your allegiance to the one true God is by refusing to worship other gods. Refusing to worship other gods. The second way how to devote your allegiance to the one true God is by trusting God during your persecution. Okay? Trusting God during your persecution. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship this image. And inevitably, the persecution comes to them. And here's how it happened. Uh, Follow along with me, verses 8 through 12. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now the Chaldeans here, this is uh, kind of a general term for Babylonians when you see that term. Uh, they were probably jealous because the Jews were promoted. What we see in, in, in Daniel 2 is that Nebuchadnezzar was blown away by the fact that Daniel could tell the dream and then interpret it. And so one of Daniel's requests was not only promote me, but promote my friends as well. And so these three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are promoted, just like Daniel. And the Chaldeans, what they do is they point out that the Jews did not worship the image or Nebuchadnezzar's other gods. And even though these Jews are high up officials, we can see that Nebuchadnezzar is not going to make an exception for them. He is going to punish them. And we see this in verses 13 through 15. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. 
Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Okay, so we see in verse 15 that Nebuchadnezzar is giving them a final chance to change their mind. He's saying, okay, if you worship, you know, not a, not a hair on your head is going to be touched. You're going to be good. But you'll notice that the king's question at the end of verse 15 really shows his pride, okay? This is what he says at the end of verse 15. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Okay? He's showing his power here that, you know, I'm going to throw you into the furnace and you know what? When I throw you into the furnace, no one's going to be able to help you. He is convinced that no God can deliver them. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response is remarkable, okay? This is a remarkable response. They show faithfulness and great courage to the point of death. Here is their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Okay? So they say, or they show great confidence that God is able to deliver, to deliver them from the fire. Okay? And, the, and their comment in verse 18, you might look at this and say, well, it seems like they're showing some doubt here. Because in verse 18 they say, uh, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image. Um, they say that if he will not deliver us, out of your hand. So it, it almost seems like there might be some doubt there. Like, well, if he doesn't, we're still going to be faithful. Um, but really, they are showing confidence in God because what they are doing is saying, you know what, we do believe that he can rescue us from this fire. But we're leaving the results to him because like the seven million people who've been martyred, sometimes God's will for you is that you, you are going to die. And that's just the way it is. But in this case, we're going to find out that that wasn't his will. So they show great confidence in God, and they're leaving the result to him. They're trusting God through their persecution. And what we see in the next verses is that God is taking care of them as they face the king's wrath and are thrown into the furnace. And I, and I think it's worth noting, too, by the way, that this is not some tribal king, okay? This is not like the mayor of a town or some small town. This is, this is King Nebuchadnezzar. He's, argu he's arguably the most powerful king in the history of the world. He's the king of Babylon. And at this time, he not only ruled Babylon, he ruled the whole world. This is the most powerful man in the world. And these young men are standing up to him with this great courage. Okay? It's worth noting that. So we see that God is taking care of them in these next verses. Verses 19 through 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men. 
who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. These men were faithful, and God delivered them physically. Now, who is the fourth person? I, it's worth talking about this for, for a moment here. Uh, theologians, scholars have debated, you know, who is this fourth person? Ultimately, we don't really know 100% with 100% certainty who it is. Uh, but at times in the Old Testament, before the incarnation, before Jesus Christ took on flesh, there's these things called theophanies. And what that is is when God takes on human form. Uh, and all theophanies are Christophanies, which means that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, is the one who, who takes on this human form. And so there's a good chance that he is the one with them in the furnace. Now, other scholars have speculated that it's an angel who, who God sent to be with them. But either way, it doesn't really matter because what it shows is that God is with them. Either God himself in the person of Jesus or God's representative, the angel. Okay? So God protects them. And what we see is not one of their uh, not one part of their clothing was burned. And we know, too, that this isn't, like, this isn't fake fire, okay? We know this is real fire because the guys throwing them in were, were killed, okay? <laughs> this is real. And they die because of it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the God they were trusting in. And they probably had in mind here a specific verse from the Old Testament. Isaiah 43, 2 and 3 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Okay, so what we see here is that this really did happen. The fire did not consume them. And, and I'm sure that they were dwelling on this passage as they were thrown into the furnace. So when you face verbal or physical persecution, remember this verse, Isaiah 43, 2 and 3, and trust that promise. Now, would God have been unfaithful if he had let them burn? Would he have been unfaithful? No, I don't, I don't think so. Of course not. We, we talked about all the people who have been martyred in the history of the church. The, the, his, the period of the church history where the persecution was the greatest was the first couple centuries. The time of the apostles, those after the apostles, and then the early Christians. And I have an account here uh, from a document called The Martyrdom of the Holy Martyrs. And Justin Martyr, he is a name that we're fairly familiar with from church history. Uh, he was he was as his name suggests, he was killed uh, for the name of Christ. And not only him, but he and a few other people stood bef before the Roman prefect who, who said, you know, if you denounce Christ, uh, you, will, you will live. But if, but if you continue to affirm 
your faith in Christ, you're going to die. And I, I want to read this account to you, and it, it's, it's, very, uh, it's very fascinating and very encouraging. So, so the, the, prefect, the Roman prefect's name is, is Rusticus, by the way, okay? So his name is, I'm going to say Rusticus, okay? How about that? Let's go with that. <laughs> Rusticus the prefect said, did, did Justin make you Christians? Okay, so he's talking to the people who are with Justin, okay? Herrick said, I was a Christian and will be a Christian. And Paeon stood up and said, I too am a Christian. Rusticus the prefect said, who taught you? Paeon said, from our parents, we received this good confession. Ulipastus said, I willingly heard the words of Justin, but from my parents also, I learned to be a Christian. Rusticus the prefect said to Liberianus, and what say you? Are you a Christian and unwilling to worship the gods? Liberianus said, I too am a Christian, for I worship and reverence the only true God. The prefect says to Justin, Hearken you who are called and learn, and think you know true doctrines. If you are scourged and beheaded, do you believe you will ascend into heaven? Justin said, I hope that if I endure these things, I shall have his gifts. For I know that to all who have thus lived, there abides the divine favor until the completion of the whole world. Rusticus the prefect said, Do you suppose then that you will ascend into heaven to receive some recompense? Justin said, I do not suppose it, but I know and am fully persuaded of it. Rusticus the prefect pronounced sentence, saying, Let those who have refused to sacrifice to the gods and to yield to the command of the emperor be scourged and led away to suffer the punishment of decapitation according to the laws, the holy martyrs having glorified God and having gone forth to the accustomed place were beheaded and perfected their testimony in the confession of the Savior. Okay, so these are, um, and by the way, these, this happened about 150 AD, so about 120 years after Christ. So, so they weren't that far removed. This is the early church. And I, this kind of hit close to home to me because they asked him, how could you become a Christian? And, and a couple of them said, through my parents. <laughs> you know, these were, and, and it hits home because that's how many of us came to know the Lord. And that's how I came to know the Lord. My parents told me the gospel at a young age and I believed. And by God's grace, you know, almost three decades later, I'm still here walking with the Lord. And, and so you parents who have young children, share the gospel with them. Raise them to follow Jesus. And one day, they, they might be standing before the Antichrist. And they, they may be beheaded uh, for their testimony for Jesus Christ. Okay, so your work in raising your children is extremely important. And for those of you who come to faith later, be strong, too, in your endurance as you walk with Christ and as you persevere the persecution that will come. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized that God may not deliver them, okay, physically from the fire, like these people endured. But they certainly held the Jewish hope that God would preserve them after they die. The Jews, there's specific passages in the Old Testament that speak to the resurrection. They believed that once they died, they would one day rise again from the dead. And they knew that Nebuchadnezzar, all Nebuchadnezzar could do was kill their body. And this brings to mind the words of Jesus Christ when he said, Do not fear those who can only kill the body. Fear him 
who can destroy both soul and body in hell, okay? So all people can do to you is hurt you physically. They can't do anything beyond that. And so the worst case scenario, you go to be with the Lord immediately. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good position to be in, okay? And in Christ, that is the position that you are in. So even if your persecution leads to death, God will preserve you and he will take care of you by, by taking you to be with him. As Paul said, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Okay, so Paul, even the Apostle Paul, he, he knew that the persecution that he faced, that God would take care of him as he endured it. Okay, so that's the second way how you must devote your allegiance to the one true God. By trusting God during your persecution. The third way how is by glorifying God through your example. By glorifying God through your example. Look with me at verses 26 through 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses shall be laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Okay, so they get, they get another promotion once again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego glorified God through their example. And of course, what we see here is that this led Nebuchadnezzar to give glory to their God. Now the goal of this last point is to call you to show your allegiance to God through your example. Because what happens is that when you set a great example for God, specifically in your persecution, God gets the glory for it. Unbelievers are led to praise God because of your example, whether it's something small or whether it's something big like these men. What we see in this passage is the unbelieving Babylonian king gives praise to God, okay? The most powerful king in the world here. All he can do is give praise to God and the mighty work that he performed. Because you see here in verse 26, what does he do here? He, he blesses the Most High God. And then in verse 28, or sorry, in verse 28, he blesses the Most High God. In verse 26, um, he, he refers to the God of Israel as the supreme God. Okay, so we see he, he's giving praise to God in both cases. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not getting the glory as they represent God because God is the one who is behind their faithfulness. And he's the one who gets the glory. And of course, he's the one who deserves 
the glory. And so think of, think of the circumstances that, that you are in in your life. Um, you might be working in a very difficult situation, and you might be around a lot of unbelievers. And you know what? They're watching you closely. And if they see your example, and, and, and your example is commendable, and all they can say is, you know, this is, this is a good person. This person does the right thing, no matter if it's difficult or not. They're, they're going to see God in you, and they're, and they're going to give praise to him. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they will become a Christian. Now, hopefully they do. But at the very least, they'll be impressed by you and, and the God that you worship. In the same way that Nebuchadnezzar was of their God. I've had the privilege of, of getting to know a little bit a man in the Twin Cities, uh, Michael Niederer. Um, he actually spoke at our missions conference in the spring of 2013. Uh, he's devoted his entire life to ministry to Somali Muslims uh, in the Twin Cities. Uh, this, this is a great, it's a great unreached people group that comes from East Africa that God has brought to our backyard. I mean, and he's a man who wanted uh, to go to the Middle East, uh, to go to the front lines, and, and even be martyred. He's, he's one of those guys. But God said to him, nope, you're going to stay here, and you're going to minister to the Somalis here. And, and so he, he's developed so many great relationships with Somalis um, during the many years that he's ministered to them. And one particular guy who he's developed a relationship with is actually a king of one of the tribes of, of the Somali people. Uh, the Somali nation has many different tribes, and one of the tribes, um, it's a tribe of about 30,000 people, but this guy, he's, he's the sultan or, or the king. And if Michael Nieder can reach this guy for Christ, he could reach this whole tribe for Christ. And so it's very strategic in trying to get the gospel to this guy. Now, but the point I wanted to bring out of that is that he was talking to him, and the sultan spends about 80% of his time in Minnesota, and he lives in Plymouth. And he spends about 20% of his time in Somalia. And one of, one of, the, t- one of the times he went to Somalia, uh, he, was, he was really troubled by the great famine that his people were having to endure. And he was really troubled by it. And the person he thought about calling was Michael. So he calls up Michael back in Minnesota, and he says, Michael, my people are suffering, and I need your help. He said, I need 100 Christian missionaries to come to Somalia uh, to help with, with, with the needs that we have here. And Michael's thinking, you know, humanitarian needs, you know, because, you know, Christian, some Christian missionaries are just humanitarian. They just help uh, feed people, put clothing on them. But he's saying, no, I want real Christian missionaries. That was his response. Uh, and because, because this sultan has been blown away by the Christians in his life. He's, he's very impressed with, with, with the believers in his life. And Michael's one of them. And so he, he thinks highly of the Christian religion, even though he's a Muslim. Uh, and he thinks highly of the God of the Christian faith, the God of the Bible, okay? So people are amazed by God through your witness, whether it's through persecution or whether it's through just your daily example. So be aware of that as you walk with Christ and as you live out your faith around unbelievers. And what we see here, too, is that Nebuchadnezzar found out that there is a God who can rescue people from the fiery furnace. Remember what he said in verse 15? There, he said there, there is no God who's going to be able to rescue you. And what we see here is that uh, in verse uh, 29, he says, no other God who is able to rescue in this way. 
says there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. So he, he becomes a believer in the sense that he believes in the power of the, of the God of Israel, the God of these Jews. And what's fascinating is that you, as you read the Old Testament, the God of Israel builds a reputation with the nations that surround Israel. We see here in this passage that he's building a reputation with the most powerful king in the world. He's like, who is this God? Because remember, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he was polytheistic. He believed in lots of gods. Uh, monotheism is the belief in one God. Polytheism is the belief in many gods. And most of the nations believed in many gods. The Jewish nation was unique in that it believed in the, uh, Yahweh, the one God of Israel. And God, he, the God of the, Is- the Israelites built a great reputation with, with this king. And there's another example, too, in the Old Testament, uh, the Canaanites, who, were, who was a nation right next to Israel, Rahab. Uh, the spies, Joshua and the spies, encounter Rahab, and Rahab says, you know what? We've heard of your God. And I, I wanted to read this account here. Uh, th- this was re- this is the, these are the words of Rahab. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Okay, so God is giving witness of himself. And, and what these people are seeing is that they're false gods. They can't do anything. They can't rescue them. But what they're seeing is that the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, is the God who can rescue. And he is the one true God. So he builds this reputation. So devoting your allegiance to false gods who cannot hear you, who do not exist, is foolish. But devoting your allegiance to the God of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego is the wisest thing you can do. So this morning, the purpose of the sermon is is to call you to devote your allegiance to the one true God by refusing to worship other gods, by trusting God, through your persecution, and by glorifying God through your example. It ended well for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their physical lives were spared, but it does not always end this well for all who show their allegiance to God in a physical sense. Millions of Christ followers have been martyred for their faith. As you face persecution, minor or major, it is up to God how it will end. And you must trust him that he will do right. But be faithful as you face it because you know that you will be vindicated. The God of heaven and earth will get the last word. Those with their allegiance to God always have their life story end well because your story ends by going to be with him and by dwelling with him forever. So have your confidence in that this morning. Devote your allegiance to the one true God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your witness through these men, their faithfulness, and you get the glory through their witness. 
And we praise you, Father, for your works, your works in history. You led the Israelites out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. You delivered Daniel from the lion's den. We're going to see that in a few weeks. You, you delivered Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego from the fiery furnace. And you do all these works, Lord, to, to show that you are the true God. And it brings glory to you. And Lord, we, are, we should be blown away that we worship you, the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And Lord, prepare us in these seasons, even as it might be quiet and the persecution may seem small. Prepare us for the times when the persecution will be great. Because we know how the story ends, Lord. We know that the persecution for your people is great in the future. And so, Lord, prepare us for that. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.